This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play Doctor Online. Dramatic pause. He is desperate to win. And by the way, if he doesn't win in 2020, you're going to see the ugliest departure from the White House in American history. <sighs> yes, who was that? Who was that speaking just then? That was retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters. He was on CNN. And he was on talking about, I think, the lead-up to the first impeachment of a certain former occupant of the White House. The uh, YouTube clip was uh, posted to the CNN YouTube channel uh, in April 2019. April 2019. And he said that it would be the ugliest departure in history. Nailed it. But did he get it? Didn't he get it? Okay. I would say that, well, we're, we as a nation, most of us anyway, are relieved that the inauguration came and went relatively peacefully. I would not say this was exactly a, a peaceful transfer of power. Because you know, two weeks before the election, you know, what happened, right? A bunch of yahoos hopped up on what the news media has taken to calling the big lie. They, they've, you know, I've heard it on CNN and CNN and MSNBC. I've heard, uh, you know, other com- news commentators or, or, you know, political commentators that I, that I check out on YouTube. The, the term, the big lie, has, has, Permeated has that has become the the term for what uh, the loser did uh, leading up to the election, immediately after the election, and for the two months after the election. The all the lies about voter fraud, dead people voting, massive dumps, and all that. I've gone over it already, so I won't go too deep into it. The news media. As, as, I don't know who was the first to say it, but somewhere it, it happened and it stuck. And they're calling it the big lie. And whether that's what it gets referred to as, as history unfolds, as we go into the future and we look back at this time period, will it be under the heading of the big lie? Well, that would be, you know, like the Teapot Dome scandal, you know, things like that. Iran-Contra, you know, these titles. Well, the big lie, will that be... 
you know, would that be what it, this is referred to? Uh, I mean, and they had to call it the big lie because the man told 30-something thousand lies and, and half-truths and misleading statements and uh, through his, his four years as, as president and I suppose the, the time that you know, he was running for president. They'd count, you know, some, some place that does this kind of calculation looked at it and counted all the lies. And it's over 30,000. It's just incredible. And by the way, the way he and his wife left, they didn't go to the inauguration. He never conceded. The way they left that morning, that's the way a loser loses. I mean, the one thing he told us that was true was that he is a terrible loser. He does not lose well. So the, the inauguration takes place last Wednesday. And it was different. I mean, the, the, the guy that used to be the occupant in, in the White House can truthfully say his crowd, his inauguration crowds were bigger. <laughs> but, you know, Joe Biden didn't have much of a crowd because, well, his predecessor... Uh, it didn't do much to stop uh, a pandemic that has so far claimed more than 420,000 American lives. That's more than World War II. That's right. It took World War II almost four years to claim 400-something thousand lives. It took less than a year for the pandemic to claim 420,000 American lives. And we're going to get to half a million in a matter of weeks, maybe days, we're going to be at half a million. And the president, our president now, President Joe and Vice President Kamala, they take office and Joe starts looking around and say, okay, let's see what's the rollout plan for the vaccine. What's the rollout plan that uh, my predecessor had? And they find out there was no plan. <laughs> of course there wasn't. He had golfing to do. We've seen the return of, uh, of Dr. Fauci. He had been on the down low for a number of weeks or months leading up to the election and, and then the aftermath of it during the big lie. But he's, he re-emerged, gave a press conference, and he essentially said, oh, guys, I can't tell you how good it is to only have to be explaining in, at, these, at these press conferences what we know about the pandemic What's the status of it? What we are doing to help bring down the numbers? Recommendations for the public on what they can do to help bring down the numbers? What's the status of the vaccination rollout? Uh, you know, let's talk about those variant strains that are even more um, uh, contagious. From what I understand, even though they're more contagious, it doesn't mean that they're any more dangerous than you know, the, the less contagious uh, strain of the coronavirus and that the vaccine will be effective against those, those new strains. And part of the reason why there's those new strains is because it took so long to get a handle on the pandemic. We still haven't got a handle on it. It's been taking so long, so there's been so much time for the virus to mutate instead of locking it down right away. 
It's my understanding that Australia has had stretches of days recently with zero new cases. Well, here in the United States, we just rage along. It just, it just burns along. And, you know, my wife at her job, she gets notices through, you know, text or email from her job saying another employee has been exposed to COVID. Doesn't necessarily they've tested positive that the employee has it, but they just, you know, I'm you know, just letting you guys know that there's going to be another employee that won't be there for at least two weeks because of an exposure. Just this past week, just this past Wednesday, or inauguration day, one of the employees of the company that I am the office manager for let us know that he tested positive. That that day, that Wednesday, he tested positive. Now, he had come through the worst part of the illness before he, before he went in to be tested, before he got his test results. So, and he only works one day a week for us. So for the next two weeks at least, we have to cover for him, which isn't a big deal. It's only one night a week. I'm trying to get him more hours if I can, but I, I just I just can't. But so we're we're gonna have to cover for him, and, and hopefully, you know, he he is past the worst of it. He did say he was feeling much better and all that. So, you know, but it, the circle, the ever decreasing uh, uh, circle that just keeps that's just surrounding me. That I feel to make it about me, you know, it's like this. It just gets closer and closer and closer. I've had a, a friend of mine get it, and he's past it now. He's better. He's back to pretty much his pre-COVID status, and that's great. Uh, but there are other people that still have the lingering problems and all that. And I, I went on, on Facebook with a friend of mine who uh, is a supporter of the previous, you know, the the just left the White House person still a supporter of that person and because such a supporter of that that person bought into the the other big lie about the vaccine about the pandemic not being that big a deal oh it's just a bad cold and it has a 99.98 percent survival rate which it doesn't at best it has a 98.33 percent survival rate it has a 1.67 percent mortality rate I had to explain to him that survival rate means they just didn't die. Because plenty of people that get the, 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 this disease, you know, most people will get better and they'll be fine. Some of them won't even know they've had it, um, and, which is the dangerous thing, which is why we got to wear masks. Because people can be asymptomatic and people might never have symptoms from the from the illness. Uh, they might be pre-symptomatic when they go out and about. But that's why you got to wear masks to keep your junk close to you and not floating around where other people can breathe it in. That's why we wear masks. I've gone over all that before. But I had to explain to to him that you know survival rate means they just didn't die. But there are plenty of people who get you know chronic conditions that last for for a long time. Lung damage, heart damage, and or neurological damage that they have to deal with. And they and you know it might be for weeks or months or just a few days or something, but it you know there are problems that they have and, and from what I've read, some of the conditions could last even longer. And they can be terrible. Like some people don't get their lung capacity back for a long time. They walk up a flight of stairs and they have to stop so they can catch their breath when they didn't have to before they had COVID. 
and 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 the people like like his public persona, I will say, the way he acts on social media, this this not taking it seriously, saying oh it's just a bad cold and I keep surviving COVID. It's just like it's like it's a bad cold with a ninety nine point nine eight percent survival rate. So I lectured him. I gave him all the information. This is your numbers are wrong. It's not a 99.98% survival rate. Your numbers are just wrong. And I gave him the source that I got my information from. And that source is uh, worldometer.info slash countries or slash COVID, uh, no, slash coronavirus slash countries slash USA. Well, just go to it, uh, worldometers.info and you'll, you'll find it. Uh, I'll put a link to it on the show notes. Go to dimland.com and click on the show notes and you'll get to them. I'll put a link to it. And that's what, and they get their numbers, much of their information from the World Health Organization and from the CDC. So, and, and, and in my rebuke of my friend, I said, uh, you know, those of you who take it frivolously and do not, do not follow the recommendations to help keep other people safe are putting vulnerable people, vulnerable people at risk. You know, for instance, like people that have had major heart surgery and have diabetes. That's my friend. He has diabetes and he's had major heart surgery. At least one. He might have had two. And he's also damn close to 60. If he's not 60 already, he's damn close. So he's old along with these other comorbidities. And someone close to him has told me that he takes the precautions for himself very seriously. But his public persona is, this is no big deal. Okay, so we've inaugurated a new president, Joe Biden. Kamala Harris is our vice president, first woman vice president, first African-American vice president, first, uh, first person of, of Asian, you know, Pacific Asian descent, I think. Just all rolled in, you know, checked a few boxes right there, <laughs> finally. And one of the, one of the, uh, one of the delights of, the, of, the, of Inauguration Day was to see our gal, our senior senator from here, from Minnesota, um, Amy Klobuchar, being the, you know, one of the uh, masters of ceremony. Is that what you would say? You know, she was, would be introducing people. There was also Senator Roy Blunt, I think that's his name. He would trade off with her and in introducing people and giving little, you know, transition talks, you know, going to the next step. But she was the first to talk, and she was the first person to introduce to America, you know, our new president, Joe Biden. And then he came up to give his speech. And his speech was really good. It's about unifying in that. But he also touched on the idea that truth means something. That we have to hold to the ideals of being of telling the truth. We have to be truthful with each other. This 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 the, the big lie that took place. Now he didn't bring that up specifically, but that's what he was referring to. The big lie and all the lies and how the media is just you know if the media doesn't agree with you, it's fake news. If it doesn't agree with your political views, it's fake news. So I enjoyed Joe, uh, Joe's speech. Uh, it was it was it was great that you know at some point early in the proceedings it started to snow a little bit, 
And uh, Senator Blunt had mentioned that, wow, you know, there's the, the influence of Senator Amy Klobuchar being from Minnesota, bringing some snow. But then as the time came to, to swear in Joe and for him to give the speech, the sun came out. That was kind of a neat, neat aspect there. Um, the other things that I uh, really liked about it uh, was, well, Amanda Gorman, the, uh, the, the youth poet laureate, young woman, 22, which I don't mean this on any kind of a belittling of her. It's no, 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 because you know, she looked so young. <laughs> and I mean, it's, I, I thought she was, when I was surprised that she was 22, I thought maybe she was a high school student. Because she looks so young, and it's not because that's nothing casting any bad stuff on her. It's just that I'm getting old, and young people look even younger. That's the thing. My wife and I will watch baseball or something, and the, a pitcher will take the mound, and we'll both look at him and look at each other. And say, what is he? Fifteen? And we'll find out that he's twenty-four. Really? <laughs> he looks so young. It's just it's it's that's what's happening to us. We're getting old. But her poem was fantastic. But well, uh, before I get too much further along, I'm going to take my first break. I know it seemed to get to it pretty quick, but I'm going to take my first break. Uh, I'll be back after this and uh, talk a little bit more about uh, Inauguration Day. And, uh, yeah, and, and, well, of course, other stuff, because i got two more segments to fill. So I better have other stuff. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I'll return uh, shortly. maneuver into a tight parking spot at the mall, I'm pretty much sexually satisfied. And I've been to the mall twice today already. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Z-Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio's Red-Headed Stepchild. It's Dr. Dim on Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Yeah. 
and welcome back to Dimland Radio here in the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. As I was saying, uh, Amanda uh, Gorman, God, I hope I got her name right, uh, was, her poem was wonderful. She's very theatrical. She had, it's just, it was a performance as well as, as, as a reading. And she did really well. And, and what she was saying was, you know, she was saying, you know, country, this country, America, has, it's, it's not finished yet. It's still a work in progress. We've, we've, we've done some good things, but we need to keep moving, and we need to make justice count for all and all that. She's, you know, just wonderful. However, and this is nothing, however, I did what I could to keep from the moments, from the whole, uh, you know, all the speeches and everything, from being interrupted. Took the phone off the hook, and, you know, I figured... If anybody called, I checked the messages once I get, you know, it was over, put the phone, pick up, you know, uh, see if there's any messages. And I, I just wanted to pay attention here. So halfway into her poem, the next door neighbor, the chiropractor, pops in to ask me something. I had to mute the thing. Get up and say, you know, answer his question, whatever it was. He's a nice enough guy. He is a chiropractor, but he's a nice enough guy. Good neighbor. I try to be a good neighbor to him. And we don't talk about what I think about chiropractic. But anyway, and so he's there and he leaves. And I get the mute, put it back on, the the sound back on, and she's finishing up. Gah! You know, if you're going to interrupt, interrupt while Lady Gaga is singing. Or Jay Blow uh, is singing. Or... Garth Brooks is singing. Interrupt then. I don't care about the songs. I know the ones in the national anthem. Lady Gaga singing the national anthem. But, you know, I don't care about the songs. That's fine. And I'm telling you, I may be wrong, I don't think anybody actually sang that day. Either in the, in, in the, in the, in the proceedings during the day or in the celebration that was on all the networks that night. I don't think anybody actually sang. I think there, everybody was lip-syncing. It's possible that Bruce Springsteen sang and Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters sang in the evening, but it seemed like everybody else was lip-syncing to me. I could be wrong. But that's I just don't trust it anymore. I just don't. And I can understand why they would want to. They want to be pitch perfect, and it's cold. So that can't help their voices well, right? It can't help them. Yes. So, okay, whatever. But... Don't interrupt during the poem. I tried to watch the poem later. You know, I pulled it up on YouTube and I started to watch it. Halfway through, a goddamn phone call. Goddamn! <laughs> and it's not like, you know, just start the speed, just just pick up where you left off. It's a poem. You wanna, you wanna, you wanna experience all the way through. It's a performance. So I go back to the beginning, start it over again. I get it again. I get about halfway into it. Uh, you know, an email pops in. So I get bing bong and I got uh, get distracted by that. God damn it. You know, it's, it's like I had to restart the thing like three or four times to watch it all the way through. It was worth it, though. It was really good. It was the highlight of that day. I mean, there was a lot of highlights there, but that was the highlight of that day. It was great to see Mike Pence show up to give the finger. He gave, essentially gave the finger to his old boss said, I'm not going to see you off. I'm going to the inauguration. Your people wanted me, wanted to hang me. I was a minute away from them getting their hands on me. So it was good to see him show up. I liked seeing the, the you know, three of the four surviving previous presidents be there. And yeah, we didn't need 
what's his name there. So that was great. And in uh, a moment that took off afterward, the Bernie Sanders uh, memes that took off. The, he, he shows up in his utilitarian jacket, <laughs> winter coat. Uh, he doesn't care about fashion. I got this coat. It'll keep me warm. I got my mittens. He gets, and there's that picture of him sitting in that chair, and that, and, and it's been put, put all over the place. You know, people that have at least minimal skills with Photoshop have been dropping him into pictures all over the place on the internet. And it's been, it was, it's been fun. It's, it's fun. It was a little bit of fun that we got to have after, after four years of just horrible. After just you know, four years of horrible, we get to have a little fun. So I hope, you know, and some people were getting tired of the memes, but I'm not. I, I think they're great. Uh, so he's he's he. It, so Joe is our president now. He's done stuff to help. Uh, you know, uh, well, he's got to get to work on the pandemic. He's got to get to work on what he can do with the economy, and, and get get to work on helping improve things and try to reach across to all those people and try to get us to reach across to each other and be kind. You know, and I, I'm trying. I've, uh, I've snoozed a lot of people on Facebook just because I don't want to start yelling at them. And I've unfriended somebody that I barely, I don't even know, and they just post a bunch of bullshit. And I said, you know what, I don't need your shit. And I unfriended them. Uh, you know, but I keep my friends that 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 people that I know better. I keep them up there, even if I disagree with them politically. I just might snooze them a little bit, just to not get too mad at them. <laughs> uh, but hey, that's uh, you know what are you gonna do? <laughs> uh, so it's a new day, and let's hope that uh, um, uh, let's hope that we see better days ahead of us. And now, it's time for a Dimland Radio pedantic moment. Yeah, this ought to be good. Well, this is going to be uh, revisiting. I'm sure I did this as a pedantic moment before. I know I've talked about this general subject many times over the years I've done this show. and But I wanted to uh, expand it a little bit and uh, touch on a different aspect of this particular uh, pedantic moment. And that is this notion that in the old days, you know, let's say in the 1800s, and like in, in the year 1800, uh, Americans, their lifespan, and most people in the rest of the world, their lifespan, life expectancy was 35 years, 40 years. You know, that's, that's what it was. And people misunderstand what that means. They think that somebody that was 40 years old, they get this notion that that, that person was old, that the people around them thought, hey, man, you've got one foot in the grave. You're 40. You're 40 now. That means you're going to die soon. That's not what it, may, that's not what it means. Uh, life expectancy is figured out by taking in the totality of... Uh, of, of deaths when they've happened. So that means people that died while they were being born. People that died before they got to be five years old. And I was just reading something earlier tonight that said that um, even up to age 15, 
it was risky. But if you made it past, if you made it past birth, if you made it past age five, if you made it past age 15, chances were really good you would live to 60, 70, 80, maybe even into your 90s. And, I, you know, and I've talked about this before. Where I said, but you, you can go to old graveyards and cemeteries and you can look around and you can see the, 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 the birth dates and death dates and you can do all the math and you can find there's going to be a lot of old people. There's going to be 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s people. They're going to be, you're going to find them. You're also going to find a lot of dead kids. If you, go, if you find these old cemeteries that go back to, back to the day, you know, really old cemeteries, you're going to find a lot of dead kids. But at the time, in, in 1800, it was, you know, if somebody had died at age 40, his friends, his family, other people that would have heard about it would have said, oh, that's too young. That's just too young. They died too young. That's what they would be saying. Even then, because they would know people that would live into their 70s, into their 80s, into their 90s, into their 60s. They would know people. And I thought, well, I'm going to look into that a little bit. And I thought, you know, it, it, not only looking at old cemeteries and graveyards and that, what about our founding fathers? What about them? Let's see how old they lived to be. Well, let's see. Uh, at the youngest death, we have George Washington. He was 67 years old when he died. Next was uh, James Monroe. He was 73. Uh, let's see. The next one on the list was uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson. He was 83. Benjamin Franklin was 84. Uh, and John Adams, let's see, no, uh, uh, let's not get to John Adams yet. Uh, James Madison was 85. And John Adams was 90 when he died. Now, Alexander Hamilton, he brings the average down. <laughs> he was either 47 or 49 when, they, when he died. They're not sure if he was born in eight, uh, 1757 or 1759. Historians are not sure. I checked all this out on Wikipedia. Um, they weren't sure. But he, he died at 47 or 49 of a gunshot wound from a duel he had with Aaron Burr. Had he not had that duel... I would not be surprised, in the least, if he had lived into his 60s or even older. I mean, these these guys are the you know the heavy hitters of the of the founding fathers, and look how old they lived to be. When they were 40, they weren't saying, "Well, you know, every day after this is gravy." They weren't saying that, and people weren't looking, "Watch, yeah, yeah, George Washington, he's 40. <laughs> My goodness." <laughs> uh, He's so old. They weren't doing that. Okay, you get the point? Now somebody might counter. Somebody might counter with that. Well, these guys were generally wealth, wealthy men. They could probably afford the best health care. But let's not, let's not jump too quick to that side because medicine, the science of medicine, was uh, in its early days. And it was pretty much, let's figure out what works. What works? They were in that stage, trying to figure out what works. And if you could afford a good doctor, that might not actually be good for you. You see, the, the, this, as I understand it, the human body, for most things, takes care of itself. You just, you know, just 
let you know, let alone to its own to its own machinations, the body will work things out. It will it will it will it will take care of the illness. It'll take care of things. Uh, you know, but it also is good if you're if you're generally healthy. Yes, if you have a you know a healthy immune system, certainly that helps. But you know, your body will pretty much take care of things. So poor people who uh, couldn't afford to see doctors would rely on folk remedies, and these folk remedies might do nothing. But because their bodies would probably just take care of themselves anyway, the people would think that the folk remedy did something. That's why homeopathy had such a boost at the beginning. That Samuel Hahnemann, I think, came up with it in the 1700s-something. And that's, you know, homeopathy is just the most ridiculous of, of all the alternative medicines. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's essentially just saying it's magic. Here, drink this magic water. Because you're just—it's just water. There's nothing in it. The active ingredient, the whole idea is to dilute it to such minuscule amounts so that there isn't actually any active ingredient in the medicine you're taking, medicine in quotes. That you know, you're just essentially drinking water or taking a sugar pill. It's just you're not taking it. It's nothing. It's water. There's nothing in it. So when homeopathy came about and the homeopathic uh, uh, um, remedies were given to people. They were given nothing and the people's bodies fixed themselves. But people said, well, I started taking this homeopathy stuff and I got better. So, you know, correlation means causation. You know, this happened after I did that. So post hoc ergo proctor hoc. You know, because of this, this is why I, this is, why this happened because I took the homeopathy homeopathic remedy I got better but this is not necessarily true it's just your body took care of itself it's it reminds me of an episode of 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 the Beverly Hillbillies I know it's a weird twist isn't it but it there was an episode in which uh, grandma hillbilly had uh, you know granny uh, she had a sheer fire, you know, folk remedy to cure the common cold. And uh, their banker, who was in charge of their millions, saw, wow, you know, even more money possible here. We could market this, get this to market, this cure for the common cold will be even richer. Or, I mean, uh, Jed Clampett and his family will be even richer. <laughs> but the bank, you know, so it, it, it ends up, it turns out that, yeah, it works. It's a surefire remedy, whatever is in it. And Jed Clampett, the head of the family, says, oh, that's right, it works. It works. Surefire, it works. You take some of Granny's uh, remedy, and seven to ten days later, your cold is gone. Which, that's the joke, because the, the banker realizes, oh, well, that means just the cold just went away on its own, because that's usually about how long a cold takes to, to run its course. And Granny's remedy didn't do anything. Samuel Hahnemann's remedy didn't do anything, but people thought it did. So they, you know, that's why it took a hold. It, it, it had a good, you know, uh, start because medicine at the time could be making you worse. It could end up. You could end up. You know, you go see a doctor. You could actually get worse because of seeing the doctor. They, uh, um, they didn't know germ theory. At that point, or yeah, uh, or they they thought you know they you just had to balance out the humors by letting out blood, 
That didn't necessarily help. They didn't understand washing your hands. They didn't understand cleanliness when dealing with patients. They didn't understand that. It took trial and error. It took observation. It took science. It took doing science to figure out what worked in medicine, what doesn't work in medicine. You know, I've made, I've said this statement before. It's an old statement. It's not me. I didn't come up with it. But you know what they call alternative medicine that works? They call it medicine. So I'm going to take my next break. I'll be back to tell you a story uh, about uh, about. President James Garfield. You listen to him on radio. I'll be back. Hang on. Station identification. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. Operating frequency on ztalkradio.com. Are you looking for a science-based medical podcast to answer all your questions about health? Check out The Body of Evidence. Whether you're curious about the potential benefits of omega-3s or the potential risks of vaping, we take a look at the body of evidence to separate the noise, the hype, the lies from actual scientific rigor. We do it with comedy skits. The only logical thing to do is for me to take off all my clothes and run into the street. No, remember the first rule of podcasting. Always keep your pants on. With jingles. Some are thrilled, some are not. And by, you know, discussing what the evidence has to say on the topic at hand. Or unless that is a pill, but yeah, it has it has the side effects of bloating, gas, and greasy stool, which makes it very unpleasant. The Body of Evidence. Find it at bodyofevidence.ca or on your favorite podcast app. The Body of Evidence. Medicine that tastes funny and science made easy. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. But we give those other guys the finger. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. And welcome back to Dimland Radio here in the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Okay, as I said, I was going to talk about President James Garfield. Uh, he was, uh, I believe, our 20th president. He was the second American president to have been assassinated. I'm going to tie this in with my pedantic moment. Now, I don't know how old he was when he died. Ah, dang it, I didn't write it down. Pretty sure he was over 50. Um, he was a pretty smart dude. At a young age, kind of a self-made man, one of those guys. Uh, last, He was the last of the log cabin presidents. Uh, a lot of this information I got from, uh, uh, from a series of uh, uh, short videos made about the presidents uh, where uh, journalist Mo Rocca 
interviews people and does these little stories about about the presidents. In fact, he was it was watching one of these pieces I think about uh, Millard Fillmore. I think it was about him when when Mo Rocca was told how old Miller Miller Fillmore was was when he died. I think it was sixty nine. Uh, you know, Mo acted like, wow, that's like a hundred years today. You know, that's living to be a hundred today. And no, no, it's like living to be sixty-nine. I, I, that's that's what it's like. It's because again, what I, I'll refer to you, what I talked about in the segment just prior to this, and that got me thinking about the whole this pedantic moment about life expectancy and all that. That got me thinking about revisiting that. But in watching some of these things, and this an expanse of how. Doctors might not have helped. Uh, James Garfield, self-made man, very smart. Uh, he worked as a janitor to pay his way through his first year of college, also as a carpenter. But as a janitor, huh, huh, janitor, huh, huh? You see, I do janitorial work. Um, by his second year, he was made assistant professor of literature and ancient languages. I mean, that's how smart this dude was. By age 26, he was the president of that college that he went to. I don't know which college it was. Uh, a lot of this, like I said, this information is coming from the Moraka series. Uh, and the uh, uh, the woman he was talking to on there is a biographer of, uh, of James Garfield. Her name is uh, Candace uh, Millard. And uh, so it's, this information is that's where I got it all from. I'll link to it in the show notes so you can take a, you can watch it yourself. Um. You know, he didn't seek the office, but eventually, you know, he, he became president. I'll, I'll skip through all that kind of preliminaries. But he became president. And he was, uh, was going to take a train somewhere. And this was in the days where people could just meet the president, to just go in and petition him for a job. They just, I want a job. I need, you know, I want an office. I want they could petition him, and he might, you know, it might work. And there was this fellow named Charles uh, Guiteau. Charles Guiteau. Now, Charles Guiteau was not very successful in life. Everything he tried to do, he seemed to fail at. Uh, he tried law, he tried evangelism, and according to uh, Candace Millard, uh, he tried to start off a, a, a free love community, uh, a free love commune, uh, she called it, uh, which didn't work very well for him. Uh, the women involved in that free love commune uh, took to calling him Charles Get Out. And uh, anyway, so he was petitioning the president for some position. Uh, there was a specific one I can't remember what it was, like a, an ambassador to something or to some country or something. But he didn't he didn't get it. And so it was at, at that point that God sent Gato a message that it would be a good idea to kill the president. So he decides, okay. Uh, I'm going to kill the president. So, uh, let's see. In July, on July 2nd, 1881, which, by the way, the life expectancy in 1881 was still about 40, uh, at the train station, as the president, uh, with, a, I think, two of his sons, was about to board the train, uh, Guiteau jumped out and shot, the, shot him twice. Shot him once in the arm and once in the back. And the doctors were within minutes. The doctors had descended upon the president, and he's laying on the floor in the train. Nice clean area, and these doctors are poking their fingers into his wound, and instruments that they might have him trying to find the bullet. 
real smart. See, at, in those days, American doctors hadn't quite accepted the idea of germ theory. They were still thinking that it's miasma that cause Ill, causes illness, which is you know bad air. They didn't they didn't truck with these germs things. There was this there was this uh, doctor uh, uh, Joseph, oh, well, the scientist Joseph uh, Lister, who was was advocating the use of antiseptics. He's the guy that Listerine came from, or was named for. You use antiseptics to wash your hands and to wash your instruments, to clean the areas that you see patients so that it doesn't spread germs. But again, these American doctors, they weren't quite there yet. And they were saying, no, 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 no. We know what we're doing. You know. And Lister was a, was a British doctor. He says, you, you stay over there on the other side of the pond. Okay, we know what we're doing over here. And so he's, the, the, the doctors start to uh, administer to him. Now, the, the bullet that went into his back didn't hit any vital organs, didn't hit his spine. You know, he, he should have lived. Um, but the doctors, again, poking at him with the unwashed hands and trying to figure things out. Uh, this one fellow came in, Dr. D. Willard Bliss, and the D in his name, Dr. D. Willard Bliss, the D stands for doctor, so I guess it was a self-fulfilling prophecy that he'd become a doctor, and he's one of those doctors with a God complex. You ain't telling me I'm wrong. I'm taking charge. I'm the man. No second opinions. It's me. All right? And I'm telling you, this is what we're going to do to help the president. Uh, they brought in Alexander Graham Bell, yes, the telephone guy, who had also invented a metal detector. They brought him in to see if he could use his device to find the bullet. But there were two things against him. One was the president was on a bed made with metal springs, and Graham didn't know that. Graham Bell didn't know that. And so that interfered with him trying to find the bullet. Plus, he was working against uh, Dr. Bliss, who was determined, who said, don't look on the left side of the president, because the bullet's not there. The bullet's on the right side. All right. So the president is not getting any better. He's getting worse. He's filled with infections and abscesses and sores and all kinds of nastiness and terribleness all over, riddling his entire body. He's not doing well. He lost 90 pounds over the course of his convalescence, or convalescence might not be the right word, over the course of his treatment at the hands of dirty doctors. And uh, let's see, something like 80 days later uh, uh, or so, uh, on... Uh, September 19th, 1881, President James Garfield died. And he shouldn't have had to die. There was no reason for him to die. It's the doctors just spreading crap into him that killed him. And so this Guiteau fellow, he was, uh, he, was, uh, he was hanged for the crime. And he had said, uh, according to uh, Millard, he had said, yes, I shot him, but his doctors killed him. Um, now, so a couple of good things came out of this, a couple, three good things. One was that um, American doctors began to use antiseptics. They began, you know, they, 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 there was a little sea change there. Germans, you say, hmm, being clean, huh? Washing hands, 
Washing your instruments. I never thought of that. Huh. Sounds like it could be a good idea. There was also changes in, you know, in security and that because, you know, this was 16 years after Abraham Lincoln had been assassinated and the security hadn't really improved for the president. I don't know if the Secret Service had even been brought around yet. So I think some changes went in that aspect. And then the other uh, 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 good effect that it had was that it, it had um, a uniting effect on the North and South. You know, they're, still really, they're still suffering from the after effects of the Civil War, Reconstruction, and there's still North and South tensions, but here was a, a, a common loss that they felt. The South didn't really care so much that Lincoln was assassinated, not as much as the, as the North did. But with Garfield, this was a president that they felt was theirs as well. You know, the South felt was theirs, the North felt was theirs. It was a common bonding thing, l losing this man. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's just, the, the, the medicine was still not quite perfected. And hey, they're still working it out. They're still figuring out what works. They're still, but they have a much better handle on things now. There's, an, there's antibodies, there's antivirals, there's vaccines. Vaccines, the greatest of all the, the advances in medicine. It's possibly the greatest in all. You know, when that COVID comes along, get your vaccine. When you get the, you know, the, the COVID vaccine, I mean, when that becomes available to you, get the vaccine. And if you get the two dose, don't forget the second dose. Get the vaccine. So yeah, that's a interesting story I found about him. Boy, he could have lived, and he who knows he might have lived into his eighties. Lived to be an old man. What have I got for time here? Okay, um, let's see. Oh, I I saw this. I was watching uh, one of my favorite old television shows from the 70s. It's a British sitcom. I know I've talked about it on this show before. It's called The Good Life. Uh, when it was played in America on PBS stations, they changed the title of it to uh, Good Neighbors because there was already a sitcom in the States called The Good Life. And uh, in a nutshell, the, uh, the show was about Tom and Barbara Good. Uh, Tom has turned 40 and he doesn't feel feel fulfilled in life. His job is just a job. He doesn't feel like he's being, like he's living. He doesn't feel that. And it's also about their neighbors, Jerry and Margot Ledbetter. Now Jerry and Margot have the the more affluent life. They the the they're the next door neighbors to each other, and they live in Surbiton, which is a I guess an upper middle class uh, suburb of uh, London, and. Uh, they, you know, and so uh, Tom and Barbara, they're fine, but Tom's career hasn't advanced as much as Jerry's. They both work at the same company. They both started at the same time, but Jerry knew how to play the executive game and work his way up and get the better pay and get the better position and get more prestige. But Tom kind of lingered in this same level the whole time. As he just ages, as all his co-workers are younger, but they know how to play the executive game, and they move up the ladder while he just kind of hangs around at that level. We are told that the house is paid for that they live in, Tom and Barbara. So there's we have that little fact established. And then Tom has an epiphany on the night of his birthday. 
He's he's he's, he's feel he just turned forty. Middle of the night. He's 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 thought of it. This is what we're going to do. We're going to drop out of society. We're going to change. We're going to turn our 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 land, our backyard, and our front yard into a little farm. We're going to grow the food that we need, and any surplus that we have, we'll sell it to help pay for the things we need to pay. He'll build his own generator, which will be fueled by the effluence, by the manure that's left by their animals. They'll have chickens and pigs and goats, uh, a goat, and they'll you know, do that and be as self-sufficient as possible. And so the series deals with how Tom and Barbara deal with the challenges of living a self-sufficient life and how they relate to uh, Jerry and Margot through this whole thing. And Margot is, well, you know, in the series, is, of course, it's the mid-70s, so it has a certain, it has some problematic aspects to it. I mean, Tom is trying to invent, uh, trying to come up with a device to scare away the birds that are getting at their seedlings. And so he comes up with what he calls a, giant, a Chinese bird scarer, which is a bunch of cans on strings that when the wind blows, the cans hit together uh, to, to cause noise and scare the birds. And then he calls it, you know, he does the... He makes the Japan or the Chinese uh, stereotype of slanting his eyes and saying "bird sclerer," you know. And it's like, eh, okay, you, you said, okay, it was 1970 something. It's, okay. And Margot, there's they poke fun at her somewhat racist um, uh, attitudes, uh, where there's a new neighbor moving in. And uh, or moving away. There's a new. There was a neighbor that just had just gotten there. It wasn't there for very long. She's moving away. And Tom and Barbara have a little joke on Margot, saying that there's a new neighbor moving in, and they tell her the name. It's uh, uh, Mr. and Mr. and Mrs. Mohammed uh, Aziz Ibn Khan, something like that. And she's, you know, obviously she's thinking Muslim and, and all this. Oh no, and it's probably probably darker skin. And she runs off in a panic. And it's a joke. It's like oh, okay, well. I was watching this one episode, which is called um, "Away from It All." Tom and Barbara are are just tired. They've been working for all this time on their on their land, and Jerry and Margot have this idea. Said, "Look, we know of an apartment that you can stay in for a long weekend. We'll take care of everything for you. We'll take care of your animals, and we'll make sure everything's running fine. Go and have a restful weekend. You need a break. You need some time away." And there's a moment in there toward the end of the episode where Margot is working in their kitchen. And she's got an apron on. And this apron has a racist character on it. A racist depiction of a black person. You know, the strictly black color, you know, to this large round head with the unruly hair, googly eyes, big smile. And, and I looked at it and I thought, that looks like it's a, a product advertising character. So I, I, I asked, I, I took a screen capture, and I sent it to my friend who lives in the UK, and I said, what is this? Is this something? And it's called, it's, it's, it's a Robertson's Gollywog. Let me read to you about what that is. I'm pulling this, I'll link to this, uh, Revealing Histories from the UK. Uh, the Gollywog, is, and with its stereotypical crude features, was a popular childhood toy across Europe and, and the USA during the 1800s and 1900s. It originated in a children's storybook, The Adventures of Two Dutch Dolls, written by American author Florence Kate Upton in 1895. In the story, two, the, 
two dolls, Peg and Sarah Jane, are let loose in a toy store where they encounter Gollywog, the blackest gnome, dressed in red trousers, red bow tie, and blue coat. He was visually crude, with a black face, unruly hair, thick lips, and wide eyes. Gollywog was, in fact, a caricature of the American minstrels, white men who blacked up to perform songs in a manner that was itself a caricature. Uh, Upton's book was hugely popular in Britain, and she went on to write 12 more stories in which Gollywog became the main character. The Gollywog is now probably best remembered in Britain as the brand logo for Robertson's Jams. So they had jams and jellies and marmalades. Uh, it first appeared uh, on product labels and advertising material in 1910 and was immediately hugely popular. Robertson's capitalized on this with marketing campaigns, producing a range of golly badges that were collected in exchange for coupons from their jams and marmalades. The golly went on to appear on pencils, knitting patterns, playing cards, toys, and ornamental figures, and also aprons, apparently. Uh, let's see. Um, after much criticism and prolonged campaigns to expose the racist history of the image, Robertson's finally dropped the golly from its packaging in 2001. <laughs> 2001. Now that's 20 years ago, but my goodness, it took you that long? Because I'm telling you, you look at that and you think, I, I watch that scene and I see Margot wearing that. I just, I, it's just a, oh, please. But that was a time when people just didn't notice. The majority didn't notice. They weren't putting their feet in the shoes of minorities and looking at the world from that point of view. They weren't seeing it that way. They just thought, yeah, that's a gollywog. Yeah, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? We look at it now and we think, ah. It's like whenever I watch Casablanca and uh, Ingrid Bergman's character refers to uh, Sam, it's the character that uh, is a friend of Rick's, who was played by uh, Humphrey Bogart, and I think Sam is played by a man named Oh Jesus, I'm blanking on it. Paul Dooley is that his name? I don't. I don't I, uh, I'll, I'll I'll correct it in the show notes. Um, she refers to him when she sees him. Now she knows Sam because if you know the movie, you know that she knows him. But she says that boy playing piano. She asks about him, and she calls him a boy. The guy's in his forties, and she calls him boy. <clears throat> so there's these moments that slip by people, the majority, because they didn't realize it. They didn't think about it. Now we look at something like that and we think, oh my goodness, how, how, how could, you know, I cringe every time I watch Casablanca and she says that line. Couldn't she just say that man playing piano? Because that's what he is. That's what he was. He was a man. He wasn't a boy. And we look at this gollywog thing. I, I just watched that episode of, of, of The Good Life, and I saw that apron again, and I went, oh my goodness, just look at that. Just look at that. And it's just, uh It's a wonderful show. It has certain problematics to it, but that's what things from that time period are going to have. It's going to be possible. So it's going to crop up. Quick story. <clears throat> Years ago, uh, I was... Uh, uh, you know, I was I was going somewhere early in the morning with my dad, driving in his work van. This is back before he retired, so this was years ago. Driving somewhere, he's got the country music station on that he likes to listen to, and I didn't mind it. I like country music, you know, the, the classic country music, not the that stuff post-1980. 
You know, after George Jones, he stopped loving her today. The country music started getting kind of crappy. But prior prior to that, so I was listening to a, this song, and this song is by Roy Clark, and it comes on, and it's a song about a guy who had who had uh, who had wealth, but this woman that got in, that he got involved with had squandered his money and shamed him, made him feel terrible. It's a lamenting song throughout it, as it as it just as it just kind of goes along and it's just like oh my goodness he's it's just such a terrible woman and his life is awful but one day she comes to him and says i'm leaving she doesn't give a reason she's just you know she's just leaving and so he sees her off onto the greyhound bus and he watches it roll away and all he can think of is thank god and greyhound you're gone and then the song starts rollicking to its finish it was just Jump, jump, a dump, a dump, and my dad must have been kind of watching me out of the corner of his eye as I'm sleepily listening to this song, as it goes along at that lamenting dirge of a pace at the beginning, and then it jumps into this joyous third act in the song about how happy Roy Clark's character in the song is that this woman is leaving him. That she's finally gone. She's leaving. She's gone. She's been terrible. He's had to deal with her for maybe four years. And finally she's gone. And it's just the joy of that. And I just looked at her and said, what the hell is this? <laughs> he chuckles and says, well, it's, it's Roy Clark. Thank God and Greyhound. That's the name of the song. I thought, what the, <laughs> what the hell kind of a song is this? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, you might be wondering, why do you think I that song came to mind this past week? You know, this past Wednesday. Why do you think that song might have come to mind? Hmm. Good night, Herr Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. Well, I've made it to the end of another show. We still have a country. We'll see what happens next and all that kind of stuff. Be skeptical. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Keep your distance. Stay home as much as you can. Get the vaccine when it's available. And this is Dimland Radio on ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. And I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimpson, is reminding you to sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network.
And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. Well, I'm going to hell. You're gone.